Welcome to episode 141 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And we're back, baby. We're back. Were we not? Wait, we were, we were still here, weren't we? What? I don't know why I said we're back. We've been here. Because it's 2020. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Happy New Year, as I said multiple times last time. <laughs> time when it wasn't yet the New Year. Yeah. Yeah. Already been a shitstorm. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about fun things. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but so we have the uh, the season finale, season one finale of Static Shock mm-hmm. this week. And we're going to do our short list as well. Yeah, which it's it's so much easier to make a short list of this series than it was for uh, Zeta. Well, Zeta was like, what do we have to include yeah. out of necessity? In- well, what did we get down to? Seven episodes? Seven to 24? I think something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah it, it was pretty pretty steep. I'm very mm-hmm. curious to see. I feel like you and I might have different approaches to the, the well, short we, list. We normally here. do. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> I, I forget what it's like to do the short list because we do them so infrequently. Yeah. Well, from memory, I'm usually the stickler. Yeah, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Because we have we have parameters set. We do that you yes, set that I set. of what is necessity. <laughs> no, what is necessity or what goes beyond necessity? Yeah, what is necessity or what is too good to miss? Yes, exactly. So, I, well, we, we shall get to that uh, eventually. But first, let's do a little bit of news. We, we got some trailers this week. Yeah. So uh, let's do let's do New Mutants first. So okay. the, the movie that we all thought was dead mm-hmm. is back. Uh, this was for me a pretty good trailer. I so, okay. I liked it on on first watch. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're handling it well. It mm-hmm. feels we we just rewatched it, but it feels similar to that was noisy. Yeah. You happy with that? Yeah, that was great. You want one more take? Oh, let me see here. Yeah. And like move around the mic so you get that full immersion. Yeah. There you go. Ah, glorious. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We we just rewatched the Suicide Squad, the original Suicide Squad trailer. Yeah, it's a great trailer. It is terrible Man, film. That, that trailer is so good. <laughs> it really is. Um, I I asked for us to rewatch that because it it kind of like both the trailers we're going to talk about this week feel similar to that. Where this okay. has I see similar beats where they introduce the characters in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this this trailer feels fun. But then on yeah. second watch, I, I noticed a few things that make me very worried. As someone that's had to cut horror trailers before, I know when you're forcing something. Okay. Um, so what do you think they're forcing? I don't think I don't think there's going to be many scary moments in this. Okay. Because uh, we saw in the I rewatched the original trailer as well, mm-hmm. which is bad. I seem uh, to recall it being bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I'll get into in a second. But in this trailer, you see those, there's that, that shot where, like, the hands and face push through the wall. Yeah. I, uh, I'm assuming that's a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be its own compartment. But every other jump scare in this trailer are spliced together, are two scenes spliced together. So it's oh, not a continuous. Okay, okay yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> so when, when you are forcing scares in your trailer, that's a bad sign. It, it, it shows one of two things. Either there's a big component they haven't shown yet mm-hmm. in the movie. I don't think there is. It seems to reveal Everything. quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, either there's something they haven't shown yet, or um, there's not enough footage, there's not enough scares uh, to pad out a two-minute trailer. So for you, the fact that it 
you're seeing signs of it not being as scary as it's trying to pitch. To you, does mm-hmm. that indicate that they maybe have a bit of a tonal mess on their hands or like that they don't, they were shooting for something they're not quite hitting? I, compared to the first trailer where they were just like, it, the first trailer was a horror trailer through and through. It was, mm-hmm. it was establishing shots, B-roll, and then character screaming. Yeah. Uh, and that was the entire trailer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I didn't like it because there's no characters in it. Like you don't know True. who anyone is or what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, I, I, can't get a good sense of the tone uh, because they were smarter and focused this one on the characters. Okay. Where we got to see a little bit more of them. You learn their story mm-hmm. slightly. So, Because we don't know what version we're ultimately getting, right? I, I thought I read something that we were going to get... Isn't this the original? I, that's, that's, what that, I, that's what I thought I'd read, was mm-hmm. that this was... Um, Josh Bone. Boone. Boone. Uh, when promoting the new trailer's release, Boom confirmed this was the original version of the movie okay, that he shot for Fox despite Disney's acquisition. Because, uh, and actually, I think that makes sense. Because I think one thing we had read at some point was that they never actually did the reshoots mm-hmm. that but they I mean, would talked about doing, which kind of makes sense because this movie was filmed in 2016. Yeah, and like we're dealing with a young cast. <clears throat> you yeah. know, I mean, even just uh, Maisie Williams, just from one character point looks a lot different now than she did back then. Right. So it would have been really hard to actually go in and reshoot it. So... Because there, there's another movie that, that is having the same problems. It, it's Tom Holland and... Oh, uh, Daisy Ridley. Yeah. I think it, it's the next... Um, oh, my God. I'm going to blank on the director's name. doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, because that movie... The original version was shot... Uh, Right after she finished Force Awakens. Oh, that's right. So this is 2015. Yeah. This is pre-Spider-Man. Jesus Christ. They were filming this, and they're they're still trying to set up reshoots. Yeah. Like, Tom Holland was a baby. He was. He still is. He still but, is. But he was more of a baby. That's a four-year... Five year gap. I know. I just feel less creepy now finding him so attractive. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. He, so. He's, he's uh, at the age where he can drink now. Yeah, it's fine then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he still plays teenagers, but... It's fine. Yeah, but so do 30-year-olds. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> Just go watch Riverdale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should don't, don't watch Riverdale. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I can see what you mean about this maybe not being a great sign. If if I didn't if I didn't know the history of this film mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we didn't get that trailer in 2017. Ugh. Uh I would be excited for this. I would be excited for the movie after seeing this trailer. Yeah, because it is a pretty decent trailer. Like, the little bits that I know about those characters, like, there's some good moments in there. Like, we get to see um, magic. I actually have, like, her her magic sword, which is a really classic element of her character, Mm -hmm. and little things like that. It, It seems like they're portraying those i don't i don't know those characters that well i mean i do love x-men but i haven't read a lot of the new movies specifically she's colossus's sister, sister. Right? Yeah, okay yeah exactly so i mean we'll, we'll run and this real he, quick is he cannonball yeah so okay. Maisie williams plays wolf spain who transforms into a wolf it's right mm-hmm. there in the trailer um anya taylor joy is yeah iliana rasputin colossus sister and she's magic so mm-hmm. she has magic abilities and can, she's also a great actress she's a, she's a great actress too yeah and so she has sorcery powers and can use like teleportation discs to travel which you see um we have charlie heaton from stranger things mm-hmm. as cannonball uh we have uh, he's great blue hunt yeah he is fantastic uh blue hunt i'm not familiar with as daniel moonstar mirage and so i guess this one element could be considered kind of spoilery 
but uh, her power is the ability to create illusions drawn from the fears and desires of someone's mind. Oh, okay. So she's... So Do, uh, do we see her in the trailer? We do, yeah. So the trailer focuses primarily on her. So she's okay. the character that we see in the very beginning. Um, and the, like the most of the story in the trailer revolves around her. I think she might be like the pri- maybe one of the primary characters. And so the implication based on that is that probably the, the house that they're in or the asylum, whatever they're in, is somehow being manipulated by her directly. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we have uh, Henry Zaga as Sunspot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Demon Bear is going to be the overall villain of the thing. I think we see a bit of him maybe in the that final shot there. Okay. So, I mean, I think that they're taking some key elements from some of the original New Mutants comics for this. But I think they've obviously, like, changed the location and the tone a little bit to make more of a horror film. I'm intrigued by this, if not yeah, necessarily I- excited. I remember talking about new, the the original trailer and how I was very against going to see that movie. I know yeah. it's the same movie, yeah. but now I'm more open to seeing it. <laughs> and trailers never lie. Exactly. As we just watched Suicide Squad trailer, <laughs> they never lie. Never, ever lie to us. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll end up seeing it. Mm-hmm. I guess how much we have to say will dictate whether we end up doing a full episode on it. Yeah. I suspect we probably won't do a full episode on it. Um, we got that, and then we also got the trailer for uh, Birds of Prey and the... Let me see if I can get the, fi- the full title here. Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of... Uh, the Fantabulous Emancipation... Emancipation. Thank you. Of one Harley Quinn. Exactly. A.K.A. <clears throat> Harley Quinn, the movie, with some supporting characters. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this? I liked this trailer more than the first one. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that we get to see the other characters, mm-hmm. even if it's just they're, they still don't get to talk. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, I, I think we, maybe we get worrisome for this movie. I think we get maybe one syllable from Huntress. Mm-hmm. Which is the, like, I know it's, it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead. <laughs> yes. The one I'm most excited to see. Yes, of course. Uh, I, I think that'd be such a, a funny and horrible way to handle the movie as if none of them get to talk the entire time. It's just nonstop Harley talking. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I am, I'm going to say I am hopeful for this movie. Okay, but that, I don't, that, that's I, a change. I don't have expectations. Because when the first trailer came out, you were very against it. And I, if I recall, I listed this as the thing I'm most skeptical about yes. going into 2020. Exactly. Um, I, I am still skeptical, but I, I have hopes for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to the... Uh, Here's the thing is I feel like this might be doing what every other DC movie up to this point has done, which is trick me into thinking they might be doing something special with it. Because they're good at trailers. DC they're, is they're so very, good at trailers. They're, they're good at casting. Mm-hmm. They're good at trailers. And partly because they're good at visuals. And that's what you would need in a trailer. It's like, oh, I like this actor. I like this actor. This looks cool. This looks fun. There's a tone happening here. I'm worried that Harley on screen might get a little bit tiresome. I liked her in Suicide Squad, but I think she was also such a breath of fresh air compared to the rest of that film. Mm -hmm. It was basically just, for me, her and Captain Boomerang were the two parts of that movie I actually liked. And I think the other problem they're fighting right now is how good the animated series is. And now we have an expectation. Yeah, which is still great. I'm I'm two weeks back. Okay, yeah. So I just watched the most recent episode this morning Mm -hmm. uh, with... The Queen of Fables, and it's so good. And then, okay, uh, I'm trying to remember what happened in the episode last week. The the last one I saw is when they went into Harley's mind. Oh, it's a great episode. Mm-hmm. 
it, yeah, it just continues to be really, really fun and funny yeah. and smart. And so, yeah, I think there is now kind of a, a high expectation. Like, oh, this is a really good way to do this character. And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping, I mean, I know this movie was shot before kind of the the animated series started yeah. production. Uh, but I do hope that, you know, the, the beat of the first episode is kind of similar through, where it's Harley trying to get back on her feet mm-hmm. uh, and just trying to do anything to, like, make her name known. I think yeah. it's such a, it's a fun <laughs> concept. And especially, it, the, the opening shot felt very similar to, like, Peter B. Parker from... Uh, into the Spider-Verse. Oh, and she's just on the couch mm-hmm. drinking Cheese Whiz? Yeah. And kind of the voiceover was like, and everything was going great. It's fine. Yeah. What do you think about her voice? It feels weird. It is a little bit weird. Like, I feel like she's making a character choice, and even the trailer itself reveals that she does have a normal voice, too, that she goes to. Mm-hmm. So, like, even as a character, she's putting on a voice. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about the put-on voice. It, after, so I, I watched Bombshell last week. Okay. Uh, and it part of it makes me think that she had started her accent training for Bombshell while she was filming this. Okay. Because in Bombshell, she plays like the, the Southern Belle. So she's yeah. a very thick Southern accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of like comes out a little bit in this trailer. Okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this must all be happening at the same time for her. And she just doesn't know how to turn it off. It's quite possible. I mean, the thing is, she is great. Like She's, she's a great she's actress. She's really, really yeah. phenomenal. And I think in general, that is... And across the board, this is really good casting. I, I'm excited to see everyone they have in this movie. On Ewan screen. McGregor. I mean, Prob- I... I mean, ugh. Mary Elizabeth is way up there, but Ewan is just on, like, another tier of excitement. Oh, I thought just in terms of attractiveness. Oh, both, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can never get too much Ewan McGregor in my life. No one can. Uh, he's just... Oh, God, he's just so damn. Charming and charming, yeah. And I'm hoping he's a. He looks like he's having fun in this. Everyone mm-hmm. looks like they're having fun, which it does make a difference. Actually, like I've said this before, one of the reasons I really liked Ford versus Ferrari was the only time I've ever seen Christian Bale seemingly having fun on screen. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping this is going to be good, but I wouldn't be surprised if we come out of it and I have a lot of the same complaints that I've had with mm-hmm. every single other DC film from the last. 10 years. Here's a question for you after watching this trailer. Is this a heist film? No. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I think... It, it feels like very heisty in their beats they're setting up. I can see I can see that a little bit, yeah. You have the hodgepodge team coming together. Mm-hmm. You have a central villain who has all the power yeah. already. And then it's a lot of shots that feel like they could be spliced into, the, like, into Ocean's 8. There's a little bit of that. Okay, yeah. Uh, I can kind of see what you say. I kind of hope this is a heist film. Uh, yeah, I can see the, like the some of the structure there being of a heist film, mm-hmm. and it's possible that maybe they're trying to like rip off Roman Sionis in some way. Yeah, to get him to like leave them alone. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I, are you excited for it? What are your feelings with, going with in? the idea that it might be a heist film? I'm way more excited. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you have manufactured a reality in which you can be excited for this film. Yes. Okay. Great. Because mm-hmm. I just want the same like Ocean's Twelve. <laughs> thing where they're trying to beat joker to a heist yeah and then it's harley doing the the voiceover of like oh well here's where you were wrong mr j <laughs> thing is your, your your impersonation of her voice is actually really good thank you <laughs> i'm not sure what that says about you <laughs> or her but it's pretty solid thank you yeah i mean look we always hope we hope for the best we're gonna know soon it's coming out in february mm-hmm. so also now just putting that image in my head, I, I just want 
the exact shot of the uh, what's his face from Ocean's Twelve when he does the contortion act through the lasers. Oh yeah, I want that as not just as Joker, but as um, Jared Leto. Jared as Leto <laughs> as Jared Leto's I mean, Joker. It's about the only thing I could think of that would make me want to see him be the Joker ever again. Yeah, it's fine. He's off being Morbius. Great. I'm sure he's having a great time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone loves him. And I'm sure he's gonna. There's gonna after the announcement of uh, Gerard Way and. Uh, Chemical Romance coming back together. Mm-hmm. I I'm gonna put the the thought out there now. In the next year and a half, we're gonna have a uh, thirty, 30 seconds, seconds to Mars, Mars reunion. reunion. Mm. I feel like we're gonna. I feel like the emo resurgence is coming back. I could see that. Yeah, it's been enough time. Mm-hmm. See the swinging back around. Also, so, the, I mean, Brendan bleak. Yeah, and so. Brendan Urie's kind of always been in the spotlight. He he never left like yeah. the rest of them did. Hey, I mean, Fallout Boy did the superior version of Into the Unknown from Frozen Two. Mm, so I don't know. Yes, I don't know about that. It, yes, one hundred percent. I will go to my grave defending that version. I, I was texting someone the other day. We were, we were talking about you know our, our favorite pop people, and they mentioned Brandon Urie, and I'm like, does that make you a urinator? Right? Not uh, a great name for a fan base. I'm, I'm so on board. Mm-hmm. I will say this right now. I'm a urinator. You're a urinator? I absolutely am. <laughs> great. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep it kind of light on uh, news this week. Shall we go into our episode? Let's do we it. Have, we have Tantrums. <clears throat> this is the season one finale wow, of this one hurt. Static Shock. This one hurt me a lot. Okay, interesting. It was very personal. No, okay. And that's actually something I did want to talk to you about because it it is an important episode because we've been... Uh, the show has been alluding to the fact that uh, Virgil's mom was killed years prior. And so this kind of puts it front and center. I mean, the the whole thing, there's a framing device of him at her grave telling her a story of what's been going the last few weeks um, involving his run-ins with this new bang baby who is named Tantrum, he, but also be named, might be named Bloke. He, he, they never give him a name. Yeah, the... the He's listed as Tantrum, I don't know if in the credits, but certainly on the, the Static Shock wiki, which is where I get all that information. Okay. But I, I usually watch this with subtitles just because, for those of you who've listened to this podcast, you're probably aware of the fact my apartment can get kind of noisy around me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the final fight, he like stands up and makes a comment. It's like, oh, I'm not Thomas, I'm Bloke. That's your name? Is it, is it just is it Bloke? I th- oh, okay. Because when I heard it, I thought he said, I thought it, he just randomly had a British word thrown in there he's like i'm not that bloke no he he goes by bloke apparently i don't know okay. it's kind of odd but so there he basically is the this the super nerdy student who you know gets upset when he only gets a 99 out of 100 on a test he's got this pent-up anger and it manifests itself by him turning into the, i mean this is it's, it's the hulk, hulk. it's yeah. absolutely a ripoff of the hulk in every way possible he just turns well uh, no he's purple he's purple instead of green because all like Okay, do you like the purple color motif through all the Bang Babies or almost all the Bang Babies? I do. I, I like the, the synchronized color palette of the show. I, I, I like that idea. For some reason, their particular purple, I find it a little nauseating. I don't know. It's, just, it's, a, it's a little bit weird of a purple for me. I, it I'm feels trying a little to think, too cartoonish. I'm trying to think of the rest of the series, and I feel like it's, it phases out after season one. I think so, especially the time they do the redesign. Mm-hmm. They really shift up the color palette. And maybe that's part of it, too, is that I'm biased towards the, the clean... Towards purple? <laughs> Against purple, <laughs> clearly. Uh, no, more towards, like, the 
the cleaner color palette, the cleaner design look of the the later seasons, in the mm-hmm. same way that I'm a little bit biased towards the new Batman Adventures over Betos for that yeah. same reason. Um, I don't know about the the purple thing. And it, it just for me, it doesn't work pretty well here because he's purple. He's got orange hair. Purple and orange. Oh, no. It's a, it's a horrible color palette. It's a really bizarre color palette. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's purple and orange with red eyes. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's a little bit weird. Um, okay. I also was curious. What did you think about how they portrayed Thomas as a character? Not necessarily Tantrum slash Bloke slash Purple Hulk, but Thomas as a, a new character. In what sense? I like that they acknowledge the the presence of the parents that's not him getting a 99 out of 100 he's worried about it. the, the parents get upset about it mm-hmm. they portray the dad as this overbearing academic quizzing him and all these sort of things you know he wears uh like a suit and tie every day to work he's got the classic 90s eric matthew hair drapes going on which look even worse in in bright orange when yep. he's purple i guess the one thing that did kind of bother me and this is where it felt a little bit tropey was that he's an Asian character. Okay. Because that's just, like, the cliche, right, of, like, the tiger mom, like, the tiger parents, like, the overly controlling, oh, my God, you have to get an A sort of thing. And I get that this is of an era where a lot of those tropes come about, Mm -hmm. but I guess looking at it from a modern perspective, to me, that seemed a little bit in poor taste. I was curious if you had a similar reaction watching it. I... I, I wasn't thinking about it from the the Asian perspective, but yeah, it it, it was very stereotyped in that sense. Yeah, um, I, I guess they gave depth and dimension to the character mm-hmm. and even to the family dynamic. That like the mom is just really excited that he has friends come over and like maybe she is kind of aware of what's going on and the, and the dad's overbearing one, not her. So I liked they gave it that sort of texture to it. But yeah, mm-hmm. just that one thing was a little bit of a sticking point for me. I in in I'm sure you also, but I I, I had a lot of classmates in similar situations to this. One mm-hmm. of my best friends had, had very similar parents uh, where he was, you know, in the top 10 GPA wise of our, of our class. Yeah. But still it was like, nothing was ever good enough for his parents. Yeah. Uh, even, even my mom, mom listening. <laughs> I, know, uh, I, you know, I mean to ask you, you talk about your mom a lot knowing that she listens to this. Yeah. Is this just your way of having like one way therapy? Yeah. It, it, it makes it easy for it to just come out without needing, like, the life <laughs> lesson from the other end. Cindy, can you please write in with some rebuttals, <laughs> please? Uh, no, she, she'll call me and text me afterwards. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, even, even my mom was in a similar boat of, like, he's like, you know, I, I would come in with a 92 or 95. He's like, oh, what'd you miss? Like, why, mm. why, why didn't you get 100? Yeah. I'm like, just be happy with the 95. You got it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, I mean... That but, is but a, also, to be fair, that did balance out with me failing a lot of things, and yeah. I would hide them from her in As various we, we, places. We were literally just talking about this. Were we? Like, like in the last couple of weeks. Okay, yeah. yeah. How you were like a really bad student. Oh, yeah, I was a horrible <laughs> student. And, and for some reason, it never dawned on me to just throw bad things away. Instead, I'd hide them around the house. Why? I don't know. What the And hell? I found like the dumbest place. Like, uh, one of them was behind. <laughs> I had a, a picture on the like next to the sink in my bathroom and I would hide things behind the picture. Uh, yeah, I, I would pick weird, very dumb spots to hide things. That sounds like you wanted them to be found on some level. Mm, we don't need to go into that. Subconscious okay. <laughs> <laughs> into that subconscious fight right we, now. We don't need to go into a full on therapy session yeah. here about your weird paper hiding habits. Um, uh, 
But th- th- there was another story that, that this episode reminded me of. In junior year of high school, mm-hmm. uh, we found something that we weren't supposed to find uh, as a class. I went to a very competitive high school. What did you find? Uh, we found the class ranking. <gasps> no, that's yes. a thing? Yes. Yeah, it was the class GPA ranking. Do- Oh, okay. I thought it was like the teachers and the staff. Had oh, gone no, 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 no. <laughs> and like in one drunken staff meeting, <laughs> had, ranked, on their, a whiteboard had somewhere. ranked their favorite people. I mean, I'm sure that exists in the school. <laughs> um, yeah. but no, we were, we were hanging out in the counselor's office as we as that was the hangout spot for some reason. Okay. Uh, and someone found the the GPA ranking, oh which, my which God. is never to be publicized. Yeah. Uh, and for like a, a couple weeks after that, the the whole school was on this like like grade point pushing vendetta. Uh, just like you know, our top three people were all within 0.1 of Ooh, each other. Oh God. It was like, it was like 4.2, 4.1, 4.0. Yeah. Uh, and it was just mass chaos between the three of them. And then like the, the rest of the top 15 were all just like, I have to make top 10. I have to get up there. <laughs> and then I was, I think I was like dead center. I was like okay. 125 <laughs> of 250. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not in the 200s. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking great. That's like, in some ways, the perfect place to be if you're not really invested in that. Because, like, well, I'm not in the bottom half. I don't have to try and, like, strive to get any higher up. I'm not on the cusp of being, like, the top 10 yeah. or the top 5. Or well, like so the, the top, good. The top good 100. Uh, oh, and, the, and uh, I don't know the ruling in California, but in Texas, it's very... Um, there's an extra problem with finding out your number because depending on your class ranking depends on how much scholarship you get from in-state Texas schools. Oh, okay. So if you're in the top, I think it's the top 10%, then you get a, a, a lower college rate for like A&M and UT. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So, so actually, it, the stakes are kind of high. Right. And so th- that's kind of the balance of choosing a big school versus a small school. It's like oh. if, a, if you're going to the public school that I was supposed to go, that, that I was supposed to funnel into, yeah. that's a thousand people that I'm competing with. Yeah. So if I'm in the top hundred, then I'm doing fine. Whereas here is the top twenty-five. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there, there's a very weird balance. So like finding out your number was was a big, was a big deal. deal for some people. Also, tangent upon tangent. Yes, please. How do we feel about the idea of being able to get over four Oh, I think it's dumb. Like, because I was definitely one of those people. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were to look at the two of us now, I would have assumed that you were like the star student and I was the fuck up. No. Oh no, I was. I had the worst work ethic until like sophomore year of college. Oh, okay. Like gaming was was my life. Oh, my okay. Yeah. So like, it's like I was just a total nerd, academic. Like I just went to school and built rockets and built Legos mm-hmm. and like hung out with my friends and didn't drink and didn't date or do anything. But but like also that. to to tell the competitive the competitive level of my school, I was middle of the pack, but I still had like a three point five GPA. Okay, that is super competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, my school was pretty competitive too. It's like. It was, it was a public high school that was basically private because mm-hmm. the property taxes essentially made it more or less yeah, private we, school. We, it was really was a, well funded. We had a school similar to that in our area. Yeah, yeah. really well funded. Like, it's a really fantastic academic school and like lots of AP classes, and I was in a whole bunch of them. And so I think, I, I, I can't remember definitively, but I think pretty much every semester or whatever we had, I had an over a, a 4.0, which mm-hmm. you look back on the now and you're like, oh, that really just does seem like a really fucky way to like 
make it if you're not like one of the top academic students like it's really noticeable because you're not even getting like over a 4.0 yeah like if you're not in those ap classes and then also on top of that not getting a's you're not even yeah yeah that, that was a 3.5 comp- yeah. with no ap so yeah. like i would not i would push myself to the bare minimum <laughs> of like all right i am i'm doing like i'm the smarter one in the dumb class that was my goal yeah it's you know that's kind of a good way to do though it's yeah. sometimes it's better to be like you know like at fighting weight in the mid-level area. Right. Yeah, to use a tortured mixed metaphor <laughs> entirely. <laughs> but so Thomas, Thomas is the, the character who was the, the super bookworm who has to work really hard and has this pent-up energy. And mm-hmm. I guess I I liked, I, I think kind of like a lot of the episodes in this show so far, I like the characters, I like the story that's going on here and the the villain plot to me in this one was pretty weak yeah because this is probably one of the weaker villains yeah because i mean the, the convenient thing they have is maybe on par with evil soil oh i mean with the evil amoeba yes I exactly <laughs> yeah because i mean this character has about the same level of like background information like he doesn't have any sort of origin we have no idea what he would have been doing near the big bang they haven't addressed the idea that you didn't have to because i know eventually they get the idea of like Secondhand bang. Secondhand, yeah, a secondhand bang sort of thing. And so, as of right now, every character we come across was somehow... Like when, is that like when like your best friend has really good sex, you got secondhand bang? Secondhand bang, exactly. Like you, you get to, like, thrive in how good they're feeling the next day. <laughs> I, I could tell we were both trying to figure out where to go with that in a moment. I'm just like, mm, I can't think of anything. Let's keep going. I'm glad you found out what it is. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, yeah, after, after, like, the next morning when they're in like, a really good mood, and like, hey, I'll cover breakfast. Like, yeah, oh, exactly. secondhand you, bang. <laughs> You're living vicariously through their their sexual <laughs> gratification. Yeah. <laughs> we can totally make that a thing out here. We'll make it a thing. Yeah. yeah. I'll start bringing it in mm-hmm. <laughs> to our normal conversation. Yeah. Shane will love it. Oh, he absolutely will. He'll find it a complete electric factory. Yeah. Um, He'll be the true alpha clapper on that one. Exactly. <laughs> I know he doesn't listen to this episode, so we can just like. That's true. He doesn't listen to the. <laughs> This is for no one. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we don't get a background on him of how he was exposed to the Big Bang, which in an episode that maybe got a little bit further into his backstory, I think that would have been interesting of, like, how did this character of anyone get exposed to this? Like, what was he doing around Wait, there? Wait, Chris, are you recommending a two-parter? I am absolutely <laughs> not recommending a two-parter. What if this was two parts, Chris? <laughs> No, I just feel like they didn't... I, I think this show has a tendency to take a fairly generic villain and combine it with a really grounded real-world story they want to tell. Yeah. And I think one of the things for me that maybe didn't quite land in this episode, because I know you, you said you found it really emotional, and I, I really wanted to, and I found it at times, but I think part of the problem was that the stories felt so separated. Like, even the moment where Virgil's watching the old tape of his mom, mm-hmm. and she gives that little speech, but sometimes you have to let, like, let the tantrum wear out sort of thing, and he learned a lesson from her, and he just lets the character tantrum just wear himself out. Mm-hmm. That felt a little bit... Ham-fisted? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit forced to kind of bring in some sort of thematic tie-in. And we've had other episodes that do a really good job with this, like Junior from, what, even a couple weeks ago. Last week. Well, I guess, well, two weeks ago, we had an episode in between. That's right. We you did. did, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but we did do that. Semantics. But 
but that episode did a really good job of tying in the the villain story. I mean, it was a father son story, but the the villain plot and then the Virgil plot, you know, were running in parallel. They had some thematic similarities, and I just didn't I didn't feel that here. And I think even trying to bring up the mom, so it's like it, you know, he sees Daisy with her mom. He um, like some woman that he saves. Says, oh, your mother must be so proud. Like even those moments felt a little bit forced in trying to bring that character of the mom to the forefront of not only Virgil's mind, but also ours as an audience. Mm-hmm. So just because I just had some quibbles with the overall way it was structured, it didn't have the same sort of landing for me. But I'm, I'm curious what your experience was watching it if, it, if it was more impactful. I think because I had like two emotional connections to both stories, like mm-hmm. I had the emotional connection through, you know, my dad with the, the B plot yeah. and also with my competitive high school with the A-plot. Right. Uh, this show just was your life. It was, it? yeah. Did you just go around town just really hoping there would be a gas explosion, you get zero powers, and have yeah. a really horrendous purple color palette? Yeah, constantly. <laughs> Wore a lot of layers that didn't seem to go together. <laughs> Jeans that miraculously stayed on. We still don't know how. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. It's a very thin string I would tie around my waist. Uh but okay, so you had more connection with this, kind of a both storylines. Yeah, I mean, especially with the mom story of like, I, I remember, I, I think it was after college graduation, someone came up to me and said, your dad would be very proud of you. Mm-hmm. And like that, I, <clears throat> those comments hurt a yeah, lot. Yeah, no, I'm, I bet they do. Constantly. Yeah. yeah. And there, there's a, a, a saying that's been going around, probably has been going around forever, but it's just kind of become... Uh, kind of popped up for me more recently mm-hmm. when a friend passed, and it's the uh, sorry, not a friend, a friend's parent passed. Yeah, um, where it's the idea of like it doesn't get easier, it just gets normal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, where did someone say that? Was that something? Was that said in a show somewhere? Was that said in this show? No, because <laughs> like that, that quote Static didn't start that quote. Because <laughs> I feel like I watched something recently that was dealing with that was addressing grief, and I that quote. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I can I I see what you mean. Yeah, it, it just you eventually you just become used to the new normal. Yeah. Um, I don't remember where I was going with that. I just wanted to bring that quote up. No, but uh, I mean it, it is really good, and and I I like I like that this show has that element, and I like that Virgil he hasn't really dealt with that tragedy. And his dad even says, so, like, I thought you would come to terms with the grief and mm-hmm. clearly you're still working through it. Again, once again, proving that Mr. Hawkins is the best dad yeah. in, in the entire DCAU. And I, I like that this show makes that a real part of his life in the same way that, I mean, we know that Batman is obviously motivated by death of his parents, as is Dick Grayson. But that is always kind of in the background. And it's yeah. it's never... That is always treated like a trauma, but we're not necessarily ever seeing Bruce's grief. Well, I think the difference is Virgil, his life... I mean, with with Batman, obviously, his life is revolved around that trauma. Yeah. And whenever he's happy, is basically played as him like acting as a front of being happy. Yeah. When inside, he's still brooding. Whereas Virgil, we still see those moments. And this this is very much what happens when you're dealing with, with... life events like this is mm-hmm. you still get to be happy. You, you get yeah. to forget for a little bit. Exactly. But then when it comes back, like it, it you feel like it hits a little harder. Mm-hmm. 
and that's what Virgil was dealing with. Like he was in this good place. He he'd been happy with his friends. You know, he he had a good support system through all of it. And then it kind of like, oh, you have to deal with this again. It's in yeah. your face again. W- would it? Is there a kind of like a almost like a guilt kind of connected with forgetting for a little bit or not oh, letting absolutely. it be in the forefront of your yeah. brain? Yeah. Uh, that I mean, that flashed through a little bit, and then it's just you know the idea of it, the person not being there, mm-hmm. uh, is plays plays another big part in it as well. Yeah. Just the the absence, and then whatever reminders come across would make mm-hmm. it hard. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I like that this show acknowledges that there are so many different circumstances everyone goes through. Like, I mean, a lot of TV, older TV especially, was all like, oh, like the nuclear family, like the beavers and shit like that. And, mm-hmm. beavers. I think, and I think even a lot of cartoons oftentimes structured around that nuclear family. Simpsons. The Simpsons, yeah. Jetsons. Simpsons was like all of them, basically, for a really long time. And even kids' cartoons do that a lot. I mean, Disney has always, pretty much always stuck to, like, the one or no parent thing. Um, I was the, I, I made a list of who still had both parents. Uh, I think you probably Rap- did it on the air once. Rapunzel. Uh, the Incredibles. Yeah. Oh, I, I was just doing just, just, just Disney. Just Disney. Even just Disney princesses. Is it just, is it just Rapunzel? No, Moana has both. Oh yeah, she uh, has both. Uh, yeah. Merida has both. Mulan. Mulan has both, yeah. Uh, Snow, no. At Pocahontas, her mom's gone. Mm-hmm. So it's got Snow, no, Cindy, no, Aurora. Yes, Aurora has both parents. Uh, oh, okay. I haven't mm-hmm. seen it. It's been a long, long time. Um, then Ariel, no, Belle, no, Jasmine, no, Pocahontas, no, Mulan, yes, da, 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 da. Tiana, no. She does in the beginning. That That's an interesting one where you get to see the you parent. You get to see the parent a lot of times they don't, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's... it's it often becomes a, a, a basically a Disney trope at this point yeah. now. I think hitting its peak in Frozen, where you you see the parents' death. <laughs> oh yeah, but I I like that this this makes it feel more real, more fleshed out, and it gets into like like you said, the reality of it, but going so specific and actually mm-hmm. having an episode that addresses the grief rather than just having this be this thing that's running. Also, in the background. multiple episodes. Like this isn't the only one. Yeah, I know that we'll eventually get to the episode about um, me Travis back in time. Oh man! And yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I watched a really great video from uh, Watchtower Database, their their most recent vanishing point, which I'll get to in plugs, and they they talk about that moment specifically and mm-hmm. how impactful it is. But no, like. I mean, maybe I might go back and rewatch this again because um, I watched it this morning. And I, sometimes I don't know if you get in the same sort of mindset where you get into the just like you're only kind of looking at it from the analytical perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this show, I think maybe more so than Zeta or even Batman Beyond to some degree, I'm just finding myself watching them and enjoying them. And I don't know what it's like to actually listen to these because I feel like sometimes <laughs> you and I both come in and just like, oh, we just enjoyed these. Like they were just really good and we have things to talk about. But for the most part, they're just kind of enjoyable. Mm hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, I like that this show deals with real shit. Again, and I've said this before, to the point of me being able to forgive its sometimes weaker villain plots or, like, traditional superhero story elements because it really just wants to say something important. Mm-hmm. More so than any other show in the DCAU so far has. And I would say probably even going into Justice League. I think that's those are really good stories, but I don't know if the the real grounded element of the the characters is there in the same way. Yeah, I, I, w- I would go as far as to say there weren't a lot of shows at this time <clears throat> that kids shows that were good at dealing with those multiple story arcs like this. Yeah. And this, 
I'm going to say this is probably one of the like shows that started that concept that's now pretty prevalent in, mm-hmm. in, in current animation. Well, and I think you see that in the legacy of the show itself. Like mm-hmm. whenever people talk about static, they oftentimes just talk about it in a general sense of how good it is. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, like it was super good. I remember the story's being relatable and you know, it was really well made and it was fun. People don't often talk about the villains. Like, to this day, everyone always talks about the villains of BTOS and how that was the groundbreaking thing that it did. And those who know the episodes can point to specific ones, but usually people just talk about like, oh my God, that version of the Joker is so good and it gave us Harley Quinn and you know, it's the one that completely rewrote Mr. Freeze, Freeze and like the things it did with it. And it, it's all about how great those characters were written, but it's not necessarily about their like, I don't know, inner, more grounded stories in the same way that this is. And I feel yeah. like the legacy of this is is also really good storytelling, but from a more realistic perspective. It's not heightened, it's not comic booky, it's 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 real. And I, I feel like this show over the next five years, I'm gonna guess the show is gonna become is gonna come more into the limelight again. Because yeah, I could see that. the <clears throat> the the people who are making things right now are the people that grew up on BTOS. Yeah. And my generation's coming in in the next couple of years. And we're the ones that grew up on this, on Teen Titans. And it's, it's going to change what shows are going to kind of be most talked about in the, in the common vernacular. Yeah. That is an interesting thing about this is that it hasn't had a resurgence in the way a lot of other things have. I mean, we, we get that character showing up in young justice and mm-hmm. in, in some comics too. I, I haven't seen him in a lot of yeah. places. Um, but, but also playing devil's advocate with my own note. Uh, this was also the point of anima- of animation when we had so much content. Yeah, it's true. Like, while this was going on, we had Teen Titans coming up very close to this. Nickelodeon had, was putting out great stuff at the yeah, same time. Nick, we're, Disney was as well. Yeah, we're in the almost the Danny Phantom age, the SpongeBob Fairly Odd Parents age. Yeah. Cartoon Network was, was blowing up with all of their stuff. Mm-hmm. We're getting Toonami is now coming in. Mm-hmm. So this is the early days of anime coming into the, in the, in oh, the, true. Yeah. In the general population. It's like there's so much other stuff. When BTOS came out, it was the only thing of its kind. Mm-hmm. We never had an, we didn't have an action animated show like that. Uh, that wasn't purely for marketing. Yeah. Okay, so I got I got a question for you. Maybe this is a question we can revisit when we get to uh, the end of the series. But were someone to bring back Static in some sort of capacity, would you want it to be a movie? Would you want it to be a, a DC Universe show? How would you want to see it done? Probably a universe show. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think Static is a character where you need time to see him grow. Yeah. Where he, he doesn't have the same like quick turn that Spider-Man does, mm-hmm. where he's just like nerd to hero, where Static was kind of this genuine, fine guy before, Yeah. and is now dealing with the consequences of having powers. Well, and his life revolves around so much of attempting to still have a normal life that it doesn't necessarily have that same crazy heightened element you need for a film. Like every Mm -hmm. movie should be like an event in a character's life. And you feel like this character is more, his every day is interesting rather than having these like crazy spikes of, Oh my God, this is this really intense thing that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't want a Danny Phantom movie. No, I don't. I wouldn't want like a Kim possible movie (laughs) again, again, (laughs) right. We did get one. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this is a character that 
works well for comics. And as you said before, that in general, I think comics actually translate better towards serialized storytelling than mm-hmm. it does to episodic. Yeah. Or, so, similar to like Invincible. If you if you ever read that, series. I haven't. I need to. I've heard it's really really I have good. Like what twelve of them over there, something like that. No, yeah, quite a bit of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the the comics I'm mean to sit down and read at some yeah. point. Because really I remember good. when that was pitched as a movie, people were kind of on the fence about it. Yeah. Now now it's shifted to a series. And it's it's. A similar story where it needs to be a series. Yeah. I think it's an animated series, right? Isn't is it Seth Rogen working on that one? I want to say. I think so. Yeah, that would be interesting to see what happens mm-hmm. with that. It it would be like, um, not your, not your sidekick, like if they tried to oh, put all of that yeah. into a movie, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, like that. That's a series. That's a show. That's a book that needs a limited series. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's, I wonder when the next one's coming out. Actually, I hope soon. Yeah, I do too. I like that. I really like that series. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, any other thoughts on this episode, or do you want to do our, our season one short list here? Uh, I wish we got to spend more time at Real World. Oh my that's god, that's the best yeah. theme park name <laughs> I've seen in a while. R E E L to clarify, because yeah. it's very loosely film theme related, it's, it's, I, kind of. I think it's them messing with MGM. I guess so. MGM Studios. Yeah, because like they go into they go into what's supposed to be like a, a cooking show, but they just end up throwing pies. I thought it was supposed to be like a food fight room. Okay. There, was, there was food all over the walls already. I did have a question for you on that. Do food fights ever actually happen? Like, no, but I want to be a part of one so badly. <laughs> what kind of food? Oh, something that's easy to clean and doesn't stain. So pies. <laughs> yeah. Cream pies, basically. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I feel like that is a trope that you see done in anything, like in so many kids movies tv shows you see it all over the place yeah uh fucking, do you like, know people do you know people that have been in food fights i no, i don't i i know one person that's been in a food fight are they and, an animated character no okay <laughs> no it's I a person it's, it's, it's a fair question it's a person i work with <laughs> okay and she said it was like the most fun 20 minutes but then it's hours of cleanup i can only imagine yeah it, it wasn't at school it was like their friends hosting a party that was a food fight party that could be kind of fun, actually. Yeah. yeah. The this this group throws like the cool. I'm I'm very jealous of her parties, and I want to I want to go to one someday, where they just go all out with their like big. They they kind of combine four or five birthdays into one giant party. Yeah. It always has this crazy theme. Okay. Uh, so yeah, like they had the food fight party. They had a full on Harry Potter like with duels and in Quidditch and like, oh my God. while the movies are playing and they were having like a quote off. Yeah. Um, this sounds incredible. Yeah. Like they do great. They, I, I, I see them on, on, on Instagram every uh-huh. now and then and I'm like, Oh, also I think I, I figured join. out why people never throw food fight parties. Cause you would have to plan ahead. Yeah. You have to make sure that ever space you're walking into is easily clean upable, mm-hmm. which if you were to walk into that room, it would also look like you were walking into someone's murder den because it would have to be like plastic tarps over everything, yeah. <laughs> a bucket of cleaning supplies off in the corner. You'd have to you have to tell people ahead of time, like, don't wear things you're okay. Getting wear, messy. Yeah. yeah. Like, I would be like, am I going to a food fight or am I going to a murder party? I, I bet who's you, getting murdered? You, you could twist it as like, it's a pool party. <laughs> but no, no. Trying to clean anything out of a pool? No, no, no. I'm saying like that's what you pitch it as to your oh, friends. Oh, and then so everyone's suspicious. Everyone shows up in like swimsuits and speedos, yeah, and sunglasses, and they just walk into like a warehouse covered in tarps. Yep. Yeah, people are still gonna assume they're gonna get murdered. <laughs> yeah, probably. 
But what if you just see a line of pies in front of you? <laughs> All right, now I'm bored. Yeah. Like, well, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be happy first. Look at these pies. Yeah. I'm going to fill myself delicious. up first. Yeah. I think that one's banana cream. How exciting. Yeah. I really want to know the other rides in the real world. I do. And you can bet your ass I'm going to build that theme park. I'm going to sketch <laughs> that theme park out. Uh, everyone stay tuned for Cameron's Instagram to see his version of real world. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, that, that's it for tantrum. Okay. All right, so why don't we go ahead and do our, our short list here. Um, so we'll do this in the traditional fashion. We'll go through episode by episode. Yep. We'll each say yes or no, and then uh, if we disagree, we'll have a debate until we get to our final number at the end here. All right, so <clears throat> starting off, episode one, shock to the system. Cameron, you said? Absolutely. Yeah, I said yes yeah. as well. We pretty much always have to include a pilot. It sets up a lot of stuff, so uh, that is included. Number two, aftershock. Yes. I also said yes. So, uh, uh, it's the introduction of Alva. It is Instruction of Alva. Um, I think uh, it's Hot Streak in that mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, Instruction of Hot Streak, who as of yet has not come back. But I, he, I he feel like he's will be. so prominent. I guess because he's in the the intro. Yeah, and he's so memorable. Yeah, just like Mark <laughs> McGrath. You just can't forget his exactly. face, his hair, his underpants. Um, okay, episode three, The Breed. Absolutely. I said yes as well. Ebon and the Metabreed. The Metabreed, very important thing setting up here, including Ebon. All right, episode four, Grounded. No. I also said no. This is, <laughs> I want to say yes. This is the episode of the uh, the introduction of the Amoeba, um, but it does not matter at all. We can oh, absolutely man. cut it. I, it's, I, it's, it's such probably, a funny... Like, that's one where if you have people that are like, oh, man, Static is the best. Like... Do you remember this episode, remember though? This one, though? Do you remember this? Remember when the soil attacked? This, this is kind of the wolf of the moon so far. Yeah. <laughs> of Static Shock. Okay, agreed on that. No to Grounded. Uh, episode five, they're playing my song. Yes. Absolute yes on Urban that. Man. Urban Man. very uh, important introduction. Episode six, The New Kid. <sighs> okay. This, I said no. Okay, I also said no. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> I think the only thing about this that was... Well, there, there's some Edwin Alva stuff, which is kind of important. Yeah, but it doesn't progress his story at all. Exactly. And it introduces Daisy, but it's also not atypical of cartoons just introduce a character, and they're just there now. Yeah. Like, like Max was just kind of like introduced without a lot of like, well, additional I, context. I also think it's funny so. that not only did Daisy come in, Daisy just straight up replaced Frida. Frida. Exactly, yeah. So it's like, okay, this is the, the new character that they're not giving that much attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that's a no on the new kid. Episode seven, Child's Play. I said no. I also said no. Okay. Even so, though, it, like, it, it's good for seeing, like, the dad. I think it's a good oh, Mr. Hawkins yeah. episode. It's a good Mr. Hawkins episode. Uh, Dwayne's powers are interesting, if mm-hmm. a little bit weird in their execution. But overall, for me, like, this didn't add enough to really justify Yeah, its, especially its not inclusion. compared to the next episode. Exactly. Uh, eight Sons of the Fathers. Absolutely. You have to. You have that, to. That's I mean, the it's, one people remember. Yeah, I mean, it's if you can only watch one episode of this season, certainly. I haven't watched enough of it or remember enough of it to say the whole show. But, I yeah. mean, it's... Not only is it a really important episode, but it's it's done so well. Mm-hmm. It's done really, really well. I mean, it's it's hugely, hugely important and um, absolutely worth including. So, uh, number nine, Winds of Change. I said no. It's just kind of a like, it, again. It, it that's the one that uh, where they get in a fight. Yeah. So they, I they fight. Uh, what's the the villain again? Um, some of the blowhard slipstream. Slipstream. <laughs> I I said yes. You said yes. Interesting. So. This obviously doesn't fall in the category of necessary episodes, mm-hmm. and it's not amazing. But so I, broke our, our two rules but, of, of including in a short but list. But I think if you know, kind of 
sometimes when you think about like episodes that are really stand out, it also is an indication of why this show is stand out for the sort of storytelling that it does. And I think this does a really good job of bringing in that idea of friends getting into a fight. Mm-hmm. And that's something that like no other superhero show I feel like ever really does or had done yet at this point. So I found it kind of pushing the envelope in not necessarily a risque way, but in terms of storytelling way enough that I wanted to include it. Okay. I'm going to stand by a no. Okay. Because our two <laughs> rules are it's beyond good or it's necessary for the storytelling and it is a bottle episode. Uh, okay. Nothing changes. Okay, fine. I, I capitulate. I yield. All right. Number 10, bent out of shape. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, mm. It progresses rubber band man's story. Yep. And gives us a lot of time with Sharon, which we haven't really done up at this point. Yet, I know. Which she's I think great. Is really important. So, all right. Number 11, Junior. <clears throat> I said yes, just for Alva's story. I did as well. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as we talked about, it's a really good episode in terms of uh, having those parallel stories running through and, again, highlighting not only that uh, Mr. Hawkins is a great dad just to his own kids, but just a generally, like, a great role model of what a dad can be. Mm-hmm. So I, I Best, said, dad. Yes. Best, best dad. Best dad. Best dad in the DCAU, uh, as decided. Uh, number 12, replay. No. I also said no. Mm-hmm. Just the doppelganger episode doesn't need to be in there. It's fun. It's fun, but we're going to have a better version of this soon. Okay. Well, they were good. There we go. Good to know. And then uh, finally, 13 tantrum. I, I said no. Interesting. Yeah. It, I, I, I wrote not necessary, but it's, it's absolutely worth a watch. I don't, I don't think it is but the same I, caliber of like a necessary episode. But I, I, I think it falls into that second category then of like it's well worth a watch, right? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with no. Stick with I, no. I don't, I don't okay. think it's 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 now it's is part of your no given that we're gonna get a better episode down the line that deals with his mom's grief, the grief over this mom's death. Part of it, but but also just like the villain is so like, this is the worst villain we've had outside so of far. the amoeba. Amoeba, yeah. Uh, and it's the worst human villain we've had so far. Yeah. And, and that that kind of brings the episode down. Yeah. And yes, we're gonna have better mom episodes later. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he is a pretty bad villain. Mm-hmm. He's even worse than what's the the thing? Armadellon. What's his name? <laughs> oh my god! Wait, hold on. It's it's. <laughs> oh, if it's not Armadillon, it should be. <laughs> Armadillon is a great, great villain. Um. <laughs> uh, what is your name? It's it's another dumb. Uh, Carmen Dillo. Carmen Dillo. <laughs> <laughs> I was not far you off. You were pretty close. I was pretty close. Carmen Dillon is uh, is is great. <laughs> so let's go ahead to uh, some notes from friends here. So we got a, a message here from uh, one of our favorites, uh, Ashley Clark, aka Pretty Dang Nerdy, on Instagram, and uh, we'll get into some like Rise of Skywalker spoilers here because there are questions about that. So she said, "I was so dissatisfied with uh, TROS." For them to pull any of it off, it would have had to have been two movies to do any sort of justice. I liked The Last Jedi, and I thought it set up some interesting ways it could have gone, and it all just crashed and burned, which to me, that's an interesting idea of it needing really two movies to wrap things up, because the reality is, is that the way they've wrapped up The Rise of Skywalker completely jettisoned almost everything that happened in The Last Jedi, so it essentially just becomes a trilogy of two films exactly and really forces them into a bind in terms of having to like wrap everything up this time around so i don't know like i guess like a a general question like how would you have done the last two movies a little bit differently so they took better advantage of actually having two films uh have the directors talk to each other step one yeah have a plan mm-hmm. maybe from the beginning 
That's asking a lot. What a crazy thought. Uh, wait, sorry. Did you ask how I would redo the the two movies or just the last Skywalker? Um, kind of well, in combination. I feel like a lot of the problems of Rise of Skywalker stem from bad decisions made in the Last Jedi, which stem from bad decisions made um, at the end of um, the Force Awakens. But just in general, like maybe what were some changes you would have done to both to maybe change things, or even just Rise of Skywalker, I suppose. But um, it's a good question. I. I, I, I think there are parts of Last Jedi we can keep, and I think there are parts uh, of J.J.'s story that should have had a thread through mm-hmm. all three. Okay. I think the Knights of Ren should have been a much bigger part in 8 and 9. Okay, like they should have been a background for, like threat as noticeable as the First Order? Yeah, I think they, they you know, cut Snoke, cut Palpatine, have the Knights of Ren be this new, you know, kind of <clears throat> not not utilitarian. In in the last season of Korra, mm-hmm. there was a villain named Quavara. Okay. Uh, who who wanted to basically turn the 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 world into communism. Okay. Or she wanted uh, the the Earth Kingdom had just lost its ruler, the Queen, mm-hmm. and she was coming in with the military force to try and unify everything through kind of brute fr- brute force. Okay. And I think that could have been a really interesting setup for the Knights of Rin, mm-hmm. where you have the First Order government that's not doing great, but then you have this group behind them, like, hey. You're going to listen to us. Mm-hmm. We know it's best. It's not, but we know it's the best. Okay. And we're gonna, Interesting. And then Kylo being the head of that. And I think you can even keep his like wavering, you know, kind of iffiness on, on which side he should be. Mm-hmm. In the end, I think he should side with his ideals and he should go down as a villain. Okay. Um, I think that could have been an interesting way to take it. I don't know. I, I, just kind of thinking on the spot. No, I like I like that idea actually because I think that was one of the I I actually I like most of the decisions made in the Last Jedi. I think the movie overall is just a little bit long and boring. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the biggest problems is they didn't carry things through. So the idea of you know them killing Snoke means oh now Kylo Ren is going to become like the ultimate bad, which I think would have been way more interesting because he is I would argue the most interesting character. Yeah. I think well, even, he's on par with Rey. Like those two are super interesting. Even I think. They, the thing they kind of set up at the end of Last Jedi, which is the the like the conflict of villains yeah. between Hux's morale, Hux's mentality versus Kylo's mentality. Yeah, of Hux is for the First Order, Kylo is for himself. And I think that's maybe one of the problems is they never really gave motivation to the First Order to begin with. Like they're just standing as the Empire proxy. Mm-hmm. But the Republic exists at this point, right? So the ruling government is not the evil, corrupt one as it was in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So they are more of like this militarized insurgents, which maybe has some modern relevance. But I think that could have been interesting about, you know, the idea is after, because those two movies happen back to back, so after the events of The Force Awakens, the Republic is essentially no more. The First Order exists, but doesn't actually have a base of power. 
And one of the things that I thought they were going to do, and I maybe mentioned this in our last episode, was when we saw those trailer shots of that fleet of Star Destroyers, I thought they were going to pull from the Thrawn trilogy, whereas this this fleet of like Republic-era cruisers that everyone has heard about, but no one knows where it is. And so the idea is like, oh, like there's this massive fleet of former Star Destroyers, and now it's a race for the Resistance and the first order to get them to see who can actually have the might to reestablish an order in the galaxy, which is currently in chaos because there is no ruling body. And I think that becomes interesting because then Hux is just driven by wanting to rule and to dominate and to create order. Mm -hmm. And Kylo Ren is driven by slightly more ambiguous motivations. He just wants power, but maybe he's not actually interested in the mechanics and the work that has to go into ruling. Mm -hmm. And well, I think you can even twist that a little more. Is you have Hux, who's someone who's never had power, mm, trying to mm-hmm. achieve it, and you have Kylo, who's always had power and doesn't know what to do with it. Ooh, that is interesting. So he thinks. Yeah. So you have Hux trying to get to the fleet to put himself in a better position, while masking that as doing it for the better for the yeah for the first order. We have Kylo wanting the fleet because he thinks that will give him purpose with his power. Mm, I like he, that. He's yeah. kind of this void of like, I can do whatever I want, but with that, what do I want? Yeah. No, I like that. And then I think along with that, if you have the resistance trying to get a hold of the fleet to just establish enough presence to rebuild the Republic, which is now in tatters because it was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, I like that idea too of, it might be hard to then have a fourth element with the Knights of Ram, but they, if they have been a greater presence in the last one, I guess I'm thinking more just... If you take I mean, that, that can be just like a branch of... Um, just, just a branch of the First Order. Yeah. Like they, they don't need to... They can just be like the shock... Not shock troopers. Like the alpha troopers or mm-hmm. whatever. And actually, I like that idea of like really emphasizing power as a theme in this because then you, you've established in the last movie that the Force is rebuilding throughout the galaxy and we're seeing Force users pop up. You then create a situation on the resistance side of things. You know, you still have Leia phasing out, and they did a pretty good job with that. Mm-hmm. But then it's okay. Well, now Ray has to decide between being a, a leader or mm-hmm. between, like, between a leader of like the the government or figuring out what to do with all of these up and coming force sensitive people. And then you also have someone like Poe Dameron who's trying to decide: is he a leader? Is he a general? Like, what you think you have everyone trying to figure out what their place is. And I think that you already have a lot of interesting dynamics at play. Maybe put all that in there rather than just shoehorning Palpatine back in. But no, I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree with Ashley. That I think they they needed they needed more time to do this, like to finish the story they want to tell because they ignored the story that already existed. They had to like restart yet again. So this ultimately ended up becoming a, like a trilogy of one-off soft reboots. Yeah, but. I don't, but also like I don't I don't disparage those who did enjoy the movie. They're not for us, but there's a lot of people that love the original trilogy that hated the prequels because it wasn't for them. But we were kids when those movies came out, so we'll always have a soft spot. And I'm sure there's a lot of kids now that always like these movies and be forgiving of their flaws because it's the ones they grew up on. Yeah. So. There's when you when you brought up kind of the the force users coming back. There's a shot, and I, I think I'm gonna isolate myself completely from you and our entire audience with this tangent. Um, like you don't usual. do that on a regular basis yeah. anyways. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, uh, so Digimon. Okay. Show that happened parallel to Pokemon. After a great start. Yep. <laughs> I don't remember which villain it is. I think it's Devimon or, or Myotismon. One of, one of the original do all of them end in Mon? They do. Great. That's the whole point. Need no further context. Continue. Yes. Uh, there's one villain where like the main Digidestin are losing 
but they have to summon the digidescent from around the world. I'm sorry, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying so hard to just not break down and just just tear this apart because it's so absurd. Cameron, please please continue and just don't look at me what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's one shot at the end which I'm just imagining like in, you have there's a crater and in the middle you have Kylo and 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 Ray. And then Kyle was like, you're all alone. The force is, the force is with me. It's like, I'm never alone. And then the camera pans out and just around the perimeter, you have all these little kids <laughs> that are now force sensitive. Cause that, that's what happened in, in the Digimon shots. He had the Digidestin losing to the villain. He's like, what can you six kids do? It's like, we're not just six kids. The camera pans out of the crater. We're 16. There's just 10 random people yeah. behind him. <laughs> and it's, it's like, it's basically like, uh, uh, the small world ride where just a bunch of other kids, like not even adults, just children with basic level Digimon. <laughs> it's like, we can beat him with our <laughs> basically like level five versus level 40. Like Digimon, we're going to, we can beat you my Otis Mon. Uh, and <laughs> I just would love to see that, that shot copied in a billion dollar film. <laughs> no. Just a bunch of random kids with broomsticks. Yeah. <laughs> Showed up on the wrong set. It's, it's basically just like the scene of the flying lesson for the first Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> they all just hold up their hands and broomsticks fly <laughs> into the... <laughs> okay. You've solved it. Yep. We've fixed the rise of Skywalker. You just Skywalker. need one, one extra shot. <laughs> you know what? You can even... I'll, I'll even take it a step further. That's the shot that ends with her and Palpatine. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's got his army of Sith ghosts. Yep. Whatever those are. Why didn't we get a shot where it's the... The Jedi ghosts fighting the Sith ghosts. Oh my God! Because even some fan service <laughs> is too much for them, Cameron. Shocking that that may be. <laughs> so there was a video that I watched, kind of tangential to to the original question. Yeah. Called the problem with Disney movies in one word, mm-hmm. and that word is intertextuality. Okay. The idea of hiding a message, kind of where you need other, what is it? You like need outside knowledge to understand. The other message. Oh, okay. That what intertextuality is? Uh, I don't know. I actually never heard that term before. Oh, it's it's like the film buzzword. Is it? Yeah. I wasn't aware of this. The relationship between texts, especially literary ones, literary ones. Um, okay, yeah. Intertextuality is the shaping of a text meaning by another text. It is the interconnection between similar or related works of literature that reflect and influence an audience's interpretation of the text. So I'm not going to keep reading further, but I would imagine the classic example is that everything is based off the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, they were comparing, they were talking about that with the current state of live action Disney movies, expanding it to Star Wars, where a version of intertextuality is just fan service. It's, it's okay, appreciating yeah. a scene because you know another scene. Right. And how some movies you can use that to further your story. Mm-hmm. Like what um, Endgame did. In, in the middle sequence that we're not a big fan of, but the shot of Hulk when he's smashing up New York. Oh, yeah. Is you get a comedy beat out of the the intertextuality of the scene because you know that shot, mm-hmm. and that's a, a very well-known shot. And not, or not, not him in New York, but him beating up Loki. Yeah. I mean, both, really. Um, you can further appreciate that shot because you know the shot before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- there was another example on how it, actually furthered the story that I can't think of right now. But then comparing that to Force Awakens, where your shots are, hey, here's R2, 
Yeah. And then he's gone. And then that, that the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Here's, you know, uh, you know, here's Lando, and now he's gone. Here's he Han. Gone. Yeah. And now he's gone. Yeah, I mean, I, I think two examples that come to mind that highlight that that aren't Disney are uh, Star Trek Into Darkness and Spectre, which both made the same mistake of saving their highly assumed... It's not Khan, it's not Khan, it's not Khan, it's not Khan, it's Khan! It's Khan! Yeah. Oh, no, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm not Blofeld, I'm, I'm not Blofeld. Oberhauser, right there, it says in the script, my name is Oberhauser. Yes. It's fucking Blofeld, like... <laughs> Oberhauser, Blofeld. <laughs> exactly, like, it, it, that only matter, it doesn't matter to anyone in the film, it only matters to people who have seen the films prior to it. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, and I, I was listening to, and check off your bingo don't, card don't, here. Don't the, fucking the, say the it. Empire Film <laughs> Podcast. Uh, which is just a better podcast than ours. Frankly, you should be listening to that. Yeah. No, listen to us, please. Um, but they made a... Uh, Helena Harrow is one of my, my favorite hosts on that. She made a comment about how fan service is only ever used when it's referring to something that didn't work. Okay. Like, no one ever uses fan service in a positive sort of sense. It's pretty much always used in, like, a dismissive derogatory sense. Like, oh, that's just fan service. Rather than it being, pick any number of terms, uh, a reference, an in-joke, a callback, um, you know, or, or just, like... I don't know. There's a, probably another one out there that's not coming to mind, but when it's fan service, we are using that term to describe something that just doesn't quite land. And I think you're right. That's like the, the I don't agree with that. When do you ever use fan service to describe something that, like, when have you ever used it in a positive context? Constantly. You I use fan service all the time. You might be the only one. I think pretty much everyone else uses fan service in a negative context. Well, because it because I learned fan service not from American film but from Japanese stuff. Oh my god! Where fan service oh has a slightly god. different message. This this hole we're digging is getting deeper and deeper. <laughs> we're not, not going to go into that. But the the video the video that I watched about it continues kind of on the same point of the fan service aspect of you're making movies where the entire film is fan service. Yeah. With Lion King, it is a shot for shot remake. Exactly. Where it did nothing to expand the story, at least Aladdin. They they used the shots that we knew. Uh that, that that was one of the points he made of like we know these shots very well. We know the whole new world. We know Friend Like Me. We know the rubbing of the lamp. And they're splicing things in between. The problem is we just don't care about those shots in between. There's nothing for us to care about because we know the next shot that's coming already. Yeah. You know, how, how can Disney, I don't, I don't know how they can solve that problem besides just don't make fucking remakes, which that's not going to happen. Like that, that machine is well working well on its way at this. Do point. you think we're going to get, or ever going to get another ride? I'm, what am I talking about? We're getting jungle cruise this summer. I was thinking of pirates haunted mansion. Oh, another ride turned into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there was talk about trying to do Matterhorn. I don't have a Matterhorn movie. I, I sometimes I feel like the less you have to work off of the more opportunity there is to make something cool and interesting. Well, there was there's the, the Tower of Terror movie. Oh, we've talked about that before. 1997 with yeah, Kristen Dunst. Yeah, we've talked about that before. But that's in a turn based off of the Yeah, Twilight, another different property. The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So. Cuz what's left? Space Mountain can get a movie. Big yeah. Thunder can get a movie. But like the, also the word, I love Space Mountain, but the word Space Mountain makes no sense with the phrase. Yeah. Like it's just a mountain. There are no mountains in space. Dad, have you been watching the most recent Rick and Morty at all? No, I haven't, I haven't watched the new season yet. Okay. So, uh, but I don't know. 
there's there's a lot to get into with uh, with Star Wars as we love to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this point, should we go along to uh, some bat vlogs here? Let's do it. What have you been watching, listening, reading? Uh, so I did watch a good amount of the Imagineering story. Which it's so good. It is really, really good. I've watched four of the episodes so far. Oh, I'm so happy. I mean, for look, you. it's blatantly Disney propaganda, but I'm buying it on on such a like another level of propaganda. Yeah. I mean, too. At the end of the day, it is just really well made. It is not a hard-hitting expose on Disney in any sort of sense. I mean, it's it's definitely looked at through rose-tinted goggles, but the story it's telling is really sweet, and it's when interesting, and inspiring. When the inside of Matterhorn. Yes. Oh, oh my God. And, like, it it, re- it does, it's really good documentary filmmaking. It gets you really invested in the characters. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, the section that addresses Walt's death, like, you really feel oh, the impact man. of that. Yeah. Um, which is crazy considering that, you know, he's been dead for a really, really long time and, uh, no, it really makes it land. So that's really, really good. Um, uh, but then I also spent this week watching the new season of Lost in Space on Netflix. Okay. I loved it. So I mean, I really, really loved the, the first season too. And I, I used to watch a bit of the original series, obviously not when it aired because my dad was a kid when it aired. Um, but we would watch it a bit when I was a kid because he loved it growing up and then, the less said about the, the 90s movie, probably the better. But I still have kind of a soft spot for it because I was a kid. Um, but no, I really like this version of the show. Like, it's got great design. The performances are great. It's really good storytelling. Like, it, I, I, I feel like I say this a lot, but, like, I, I definitely am um, more susceptible to crying than I used to be through most of my life. And I definitely cried at a few points in the show. Like, it did a really good job. Like, it's getting, so good. Getting emotional. In Lost in Space? Oh, sorry. I'm still thinking imagining. No, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you, you switched topics. Now I switched I'm topics. You just weren't paying attention. Yeah, no, Lost in Space. No, I really, really loved this season. I think if you liked the first one, you'd really enjoy it. And I think if maybe you, I don't know, it's just worth worth watching. I really, really liked it. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, you know, it's 10, 45 minute episodes. It's relatively quick. And um, yeah, it's a great, like, modern sci fi story. And if you have seen some of the original series, like they do some kind of fun stuff right at the beginning of them being like this kind of stranded off on their own family and how do they improvise solutions. And it's, it's a really interesting show to watch in terms of, um, story structure based around just constantly throwing new obstacles at something. It's like everything they go to do is just get another obstacle, get another obstacle, more problems, more problem solving. And that could feel really exhausting, but it never does. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's just, it has like a propulsive energy to it as well. And the characters are great. So, uh, no, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and then my last plug here is the uh, most recent Vanishing Point episode from the Watchtower database that I referenced earlier. Uh, this one's called the DC Animated Universe Timeline, Everything We've Uncovered So Far. Uh, and so actually what this ultimately is is basically a finale to the Vanishing Point series. So that's the one that's been um, primarily made by Matty Washburn as part of the Watchtower database where he goes in and will do a deep dive on some aspect of the DCAU. So trying to figure out like what the deal is between Batman's changing costumes or how old is Virgil, stuff like that. Um, was there ever a uh, Jason Todd in this universe? Like they'll do sort of like, they'll pick something to do this really cool, interesting deep dive. Um, and basically that there's a lot of research that goes into doing one of those is really a heavy producing element of those shows. So they're just going to keep doing now just Sunday videos every week, um, some of which will kind of go into that sort of vanishing space, vanishing point space. But for the most part, vanishing point as itself is ending. Um, and so they did this really fantastic kind of finale episode. They actually invited us to uh, contribute a piece. And so I sent in a, a, a goodbye message, just trying to give my sincere thanks for what they've done with it. And uh, it's really, really good. It's, I mean, it, it really goes through like the entirety of the DCAU and, and hits in on really key points and where timelines line up. And I, I 
had seen a lot of their stuff already, and I was still surprised by some of the things that I learned while watching it. So uh, if you are a fan of this universe, which I assume you are, because you listen to us talk about it every week, it's well worth a watch to so go check that out. And like everything else, it'll be linked in the show notes. So. Nice. I'll check it out. Yeah. How about you? What have you been watching, reading, not reading, listening to? <laughs> um, there's a show that I that I just started. Mm-hmm. It's a show that came out in the late 2000s on Cartoon Network called Symbionic Titan. I don't know that one. Okay, it's, it's the lesser known. It it it's more famous for its its harsh cancellation. Okay, um, but it's a show created by Ginger Tartofsky and uh, Paul Ruddish, the two guys behind you know Samurai Jack and yeah. and, and all of other Tartofsky's amazing works. Um, oh, this looks kind of familiar. Yeah, it, it's a show that kind of got lost in the weeds amongst like all the other Cartoon Network shows at the time. Your Ben Tens, your Total Drama Island. Um, but it, it's a, the, I, I just watched the first episode. It's great. It's a, it's an amazing series. It has very like Magus XLR feels, which is another show. I what? don't think you know. I de- yeah, definitely Magus, don't know what that is. Magus was a great show that also, it didn't end too early. It just got shifted to the, the, the death slot on okay. Cartoon Network. It was like 11 PM on, car- on Friday night. Ooh, rough. Uh, amazing show. But yeah, this is a show that went out in a similar route to Young Justice, mm-hmm. where in, it was canceled in the middle of its first season because they couldn't get a toy licensing company. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, that would do it. Yeah. So it, it came out that that's why that was canceled and Beware the Batman was canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and obviously, similar story to Young Justice. Uh, but I just watched the first episode. I'm very excited to finally get into it. Okay. Because it's a show that not only just vanished from the airs, but it had no syndication. So it, so it was how like, have you been watching it? it? It just went up on Netflix. On Netflix. Like, oh, like okay. Interesting. Ago. All right. Cool. Um, and so when I saw it pop up, I'm like, all right, this is finally my moment to watch this show that escaped me. I mean, this uh, is very much in your wheelhouse. It's like heavily anime influenced show. Yeah. In particular because it's by Gendy Tarkovsky. From the early 2000s. This is, this is late. This is 2009. From the late 2000s that no one has seen. Exactly. Yeah. This is the Maguzi era. I'm not even going to... I'm not... I don't... So Maguzi... No, I'm not I'm not falling for your bait. I do it every week, multiple times a week. <laughs> I get into it. I'm not going to let it happen this I'm time. I'll just talk about it off air. Exactly. I'll let you rant about it while I'm packing up the equipment. Yes. Um, but I think that does it for us this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last little thing here. We have like a, a, an announcement, basically. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So for the foreseeable future, we're going to be going down to putting out new episodes every other week. Mm-hmm. Um, Cameron and I are both just really swamped with work. And you know, just living that Hollywood life. No just living that, living that Hollywood life. And it's, it's so many parties to go to. <laughs> Someone who premieres, we have to make appearances at. I'm going to be perfectly honest. We're having to do this every other week, so I have time to do laundry mm-hmm. <laughs> on the weekends now. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's begin, becoming increasingly difficult for us to do every week. And as you guys have seen, even uh, the last few months, we've had more off weeks. Um, and the last thing we want to do is have you guys be expecting something and not have it get delivered. So for the foreseeable future, probably the next few months, as we hopefully kind of get a little more settled in here, we're going to be going down to every other week. Um, 
and that'll be every other week will be the the main episodes and then i think if we have bonus episodes maybe we'll slot those in in the off weeks um, mm-hmm. to kind of keep the the run going here so we're not really stretching out uh static something that we're both excited to keep watching here so just want to give that announcement so just know that uh the next new episode won't be for another two weeks after the release of this mm-hmm. um but you know as always an opportunity to say thank you for those of you who do listen every week and really appreciate it. And we want to make sure that we're still giving you guys good stuff and giving it consistently rather than like scrambling to put together some random crazy thing. Cause we don't have time to sit down and watch cartoons every week. Exactly. So. Um, but yeah, so that actually properly does it for us. Uh, but if you do want to reach us, we are at Tim talk pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yes, and are. I am at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find my art at Cameron.dexter and you can find my face and all my Disney things at camdexter underscore adventures. Yeah. Watch that space to see Cameron's uh, hot takes on what real world's could have been yes and also the new ride at star wars opens on friday and i'm sure you'll be there and i will definitely be there yeah uh no very excited for that too you're going on friday i'm gonna get down there hopefully within the next month to go uh to go check it out but especially after watching the imagineering story i definitely want to go back to disneyland yeah uh and i really want to go to if anyone ever wants to to, if everyone if anyone ever comes out to california and they want to go to disney i will happily be a tour guide actually yeah yeah, fair point. If anyone does come out to Los Angeles and wants to go to Disneyland, let us know. And yeah, Cameron will be your tour guide. I'll try to be there if I can. Mm-hmm. I'll be there. Yeah, he'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there to help it steer the conversation away <laughs> from random 20-year-old anime holes. No, I'm good about keeping that out of Disney. We'll see that's you guys true. Next You're week. so focused on Disney. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, see you guys in two weeks. Two weeks. That's right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Superhero. Woo woo! <laughs>